it's absolutely insane that we have been coasting along this belief that 7 billion people can constantly consume and discard products that were made for permanency, like plastic is made to last forever, and that it won't cause some kind of a problem. You know, like we have this idea that you can just um, you know, buy a coffee, like when you put your bins out, that that's just, you know, the rubbish just disappears. Or when you throw something in the bin, then it's just you don't have to think about it or worry about it anymore because it's taken care of. But I think we're starting to realize now that actually we, we all have to think about it. We all have to think about where it goes. It's not just about you can't think about a product in terms of the, the five minutes that you're using it. You know, you have to think about the whole life cycle of it and what happens to it after you throw it away and where it comes from as well. That was Eva McKinley talking about our responsibility to work towards a more sustainable future. Now, Eva describes herself as a social change hipster, having been working in the industry since before it was cool. And from the age of 15, Eva devoted her life to social good, starting with volunteering on summer holidays, working in the office of a Tasmanian youth empowerment organisation, to the leadership team of the national fundraising campaign Live Below the Line, to consulting on youth participation across the country with Mohow, and finally to taking the leap and founding her own initiative, The Last Straw, in 2015. Eva currently spends her time running The Last Straw, a campaign to end the use of plastic straws in venues around Australia. Over 100 venues across the country have saved over 4 million plastic straws from being used since the campaign started. In her free time, Eva is undertaking her honours in Middle East Studies and a Diploma of Arabic at Deakin University. Now, along with discussing sustainability, we talk through her interesting journey navigating your social change pathway as a young person and we also discuss barriers to solving issues in other countries i hope you guys enjoy thank you so much for joining me today ava i really do appreciate it i think the first question that i'll ask just to set a bit of context is about the work that you're doing now and uh what it is exactly that you're working on and uh yeah we can then move into how you got there yeah sure thing um uh, so hi everyone listening uh my name is Amy Kinley and I am the founder of The Last Straw Australia which is a campaign to end the use of plastic straws in venues around this country um so we kind of do that by working with uh hospitality venues like cafes bars clubs um restaurants to get them to change their habits around plastic stories, but also um, work with consumers as well um, to sort of change their habits around stories that people have. Um, so that's, yeah, that's my game at the moment. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. Um, and so then looking at, you know, how does one actually end up going along that process and ending up where you are? Um, why don't we just start off, you know, from the very beginning, uh, where you grew up and what your childhood was like? Yeah, sure. Um, so I had quite an interesting childhood. Um, I my family moved around a lot as a kid, so um, a couple of times into state, and we lived in something like thirty-two or thirty-three different houses. Um, moved schools every year. Um, it was yeah, a wow. bit erratic. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> like a year of homeschooling and whatnot. 
Um, so as a kid, I was actually quite, um, quite shy and not very good socially because, um, I wasn't used to maintaining friends for all that long. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. So that was, um, the majority of my childhood, but I think it was really cool in a way that it got me used to being really adaptive to what was going on around me and quite resilient, um, to change. Which I think yeah. is quite a useful thing to have. Definitely. And in terms of, so all that moving around, that change of experiences and scenery and, um, friends and the people you knew, um, it helped with you building up your resilience and your, um, adaptability to different environments. Um, but if there were any sort of negatives in having that kind of upbringing, what do you think that they were? Um, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, like a bit of a lack of stability um we weren't very well off so like it was just a bit of that you know that all the things that go along with being raised in a lower socioeconomic um sort of environment and just a little bit of um I suppose like not a super supportive family environment so um I didn't have very Mm. high self-esteem or very high like there was it was never a talk about oh, what are you going to study when you go to university or what job do you want and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it was good in a way because it was kind of like a blank slate. But in other ways, yeah. we missed out on a lot of those conversations that, um, you know, you generally have about your future. <laughs> yeah, and for how long were you um, moving around like this? Was it sort of through primary school and high school? Yeah, um, until I was, uh, 13, which is when we moved to Tasmania, um, which is where I am still based now. And it was quite an interesting journey in that we, we moved on a whim and there were the four of us, like my mother, brother, sister and I, and we sold everything we owned and we had a hundred dollars to our name and we arrived at, um, Hobart airport at like 9 p.m on a Monday night or something with absolutely no idea where we were going to stay that night. Um, so I remember. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I remember. No, you definitely hear about these um, the stories of people who, who do that and, you know, move to different places with only, um, you know, a couple of dollars to to their name and then they make something out of their lives. Um, but it's, it's not very often that we actually take a good look into the process of, you know, from where you started like that into, um, you know, how you got to, to where you are. So once you did um, move to Tasmania, you said that you came from a family where, you know, talking about what you were going to do at university or um, for your career wasn't really much of a discussion. How did you sort of work around that social environment to then think about, you know, what your future was going to be like? Good question. Um, I think there were two really contributing factors. The first was that because I'd never had those conversations, I never had anything sort of um, placed in my mind about what I should be doing or what a right pathway was. It kind of made me free to just find that out for myself and create that for myself. Um, But also I was really lucky enough to um, come across a fantastic mentor um, when I was about 15 years old, who ironically started my social enterprise, um, social change pathway. Yeah. And she kind of asked those questions up for the first time, like, you know, challenged me into thinking, 
you know, what do you want to do and, and how do you want to be and who, what kind of person do you want to be? So it was definitely a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and how did sort of you cross pathways with her and how did she end up being, um, so much of a mentor to you? We, um, this is actually a great story as well. Um, she used to run a, an organization down here called the Festival of Dreams. And it was, um, this is like, you know, 13, 14 years ago. It was definitely ahead of its time. But um, it was a program about getting young people to be leaders um, within their communities by identifying an area in which they wanted to see some kind of um, a positive change and then support them to run projects mm. in their communities about that. It was all about getting, you know, kids to stay in Tasmania because everyone was leaving at that point. Um, and, yeah, I, like, I missed the application date to go to this, um, to this festival of dreams and ended up calling up just on a whim. I was like so shy. I don't know what drove me to do it and, um, called up the office yeah. and I was like, Hey, I, um, you know, I really want to go to this thing. I know that the, the dates close. What can I do? And she, I really want to go. And she said, prove it. <laughs> like I was this shy 15 year old kid and this woman had just said this like really challenging statement to me. I was like, what? Yeah. She was like, um, <laughs> she was like, prove it. If you really want to go to this, fill out the application form, have it on my desk by tomorrow afternoon, and get um get the funding to come. And yeah, so I wow. was like, all right, challenge accepted. <laughs> and um, you know, got some funding from my local council, filled out the form, and went to this program that ended up changing my life. But yeah, that was literally the first time anyone had asked me to you know, to step up and to. Um, yeah. step into being more than than I thought that I was yeah definitely I think um, a lot of people would probably just be like oh no that's a bit too much effort um, <laughs> to go into like in in a day or so and probably wouldn't have got that incredible experience that's really shaped your pathway so yeah it's obviously it's great for you but it's um, it's great to hear that you know uh, taking advantage of the just one opportunity that comes your way um, mm-hmm can be so influential and so um, life-changing. Um, and, yeah, you never know who you're going to meet, like the the mentor that you've had. Yeah, that's it. I have no doubt that my life would be a very different um, journey if it wasn't for that one decision. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's incredible and it's really interesting. Um, it's exciting in a way, but it's also scary that, um, you know, if you don't take these opportunities – um, you have no idea what you're missing out on. It's exciting that if you do, there are those sort of endless possibilities that can come out of it. And so how did you really navigate your social change pathway as a young person following on from that event? So how did it inspire you and um, what actions did you take moving forward? Yeah, um, so I I worked in Festival of Dreams for a while after that because it really spoke to me as a young person who had been really unempowered for most of my life. It was like it was my passion stepping into that role and, you know, helping other young people find what they were passionate about as well. Um, yeah. And then I think um, after that, so I worked in that for a few years, and then I sort of started thinking about um, the world outside Tasmania <laughs> mm. um, for the first time. That sort of started being introduced to concepts like. Um, development and poverty and um, environmental issues and whatnot. So my my sights were set a little bit broader. And I ended up um, working with the Oak Tree Foundation for a few years um, 
on a couple of their projects, uh, most notably the Live Below the Line campaign. Um, so I came in as a community director for that. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. And I know that Oak Tree definitely do some great work. Um, and how did you sort of transition into, did you go straight into that kind of big role or did you work up your way through the organization? I definitely worked up. Um, so in the, like in between Festival Dreams, I like volunteered for a few different groups and communities and whatnot, and um, and came to uh, this thing called the Road Trip, which was happening in with this show in my age again, two thousand and ten. Um, and it was a convergence of a thousand young people from around the country, um, in Canberra, and it was to put pressure on, um, on the government to adjust their aid budget to 0.7% of gross national income, which was um, at the time part of the Millennium Development Goals um, um, and one of the things we were really campaigning for. Um, and so that experience, you know, opened me up to a community of people that um, had this sense of incredible purpose and um, this huge passion for um, working to help other people and um and I was so inspired by it and, yeah, ended up um, volunteering with them for a little while in a few, like, smaller capacities, but then yeah. ended up running the state campaign um, in Tasmania for Lift Global Line and then being asked to come and join the, the national team. So that was that little transition. Yeah, definitely. That sounds awesome. And um, was this all through sort of while you were at high school or just after? Um, so... Yeah, yeah, years just following. Yeah, we um we call year eleven and twelve college down here in um Tasmania for some reason. Yeah, so it's <laughs> kind of yeah end of high school, college, um, and then cool. just years after. Um, that. and and one thing a lot of people do ask, you know, when they um have opportunities that come their way, is how am I going to balance this? Um, how am I going to balance these great volunteer opportunities or whatever it is, um, with the workload that does come with um. The stuff you do at college. Yeah, I don't know. I think when it comes down to it, it's just a matter of necessity. Like, um, mm. you know, obviously you've got to be careful not to burn yourself out or to take on too much stuff. Um, but I think when you have a lot of competing priorities, um, somehow you manage to find enough time <laughs> to do it all. Um, yeah, at that time as well, I, like I was, it was such a manic time. I was doing the soap tray stuff and finishing school, um, and caring for my younger siblings at that time as well. So that included like working full time to like pay for school and all that kind of stuff. So, but it's just one of those things, like when you have to do something, you, you kind of just step up to the plate and, and get it done, I suppose. Yeah, I was just talking to someone actually who was telling me about, you know, finding um, your limits and then figuring out how you can expand on them. Um, and the best way to do that is to put yourself in sort of impossible mm -hmm. situations. And, you know, those impossible situations are the things that actually bring out the best in you and help you realize slowly but surely the different things that you're actually capable of that you didn't yeah. think you were. Um, yeah, and I think that, yeah. You yeah you learn a lot about yourself when you put, you know, rock in a hard place. Yeah, totally. Um, and so going from Oak Tree um, and 
ending up in addressing issues like sustainability and um, with an emphasis on waste and straws. How did you go sort of from your work from Oak Tree and then your your pathway into transitioning to that sort of social change? Um, I know Oak Tree kind of works around um, waste, particularly with things like Live Below the Line. But yeah, how did you get your specific passion and interest? Well, I, so I finished up with the Blue the Line, uh, I think it was 2013. And I'd just done like three years, like it was a hard, it was hard after, right? So we, I'd just done like three years of this campaign mm-hmm. um, and was saving to go overseas for um, like my first trip to Europe, which was all very exciting. And so I took some time and I just sort of stepped back from everything and was like, okay, I've kind of gone this far and now I'm at the point where I need to figure out what's next um and so I took some yeah. time out to to think uh to think and figure out what was um what my next steps were going to be and in that time I was working in hospitality um you know as kind of the bill payer and I kind of like it was one night I remember I was throwing out like all the waste from the waste bucket at the end where you tip all the drinks into at the end of the yeah. night I was throwing out like, hundreds and hundreds of plastic straws and it was just one of these moments where it just kind of twigs. Like I'd been working in bars for a while before that, but I'd never thought about it before. Yeah. And on that one night, I just kind of noticed that there was all this plastic going into the bin. Mm. And so I did a little bit of research about it and, um, and yeah, like found some pretty scary statistics that made me think, I can't think of, a single campaign that I've heard of that's working on this at the moment that's sort of, you know, engaging the hospitality industry to be um, less wasteful in this way when it comes to plastic and sort of figured that, yeah, that would be the next step. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would, would have gone through the same situation as you in terms of trying, throwing out, you know, straws or any other sort of waste um, through their work, but then actually probably wouldn't go around um, researching and, and looking into it and figuring out, you know, how you, they might be able to address an issue like that. Um, and I think what that ultimately comes down to is curiosity. And it's something that I've noticed in a lot of the guests that I've talked to. Um, have you found that curiosity has been something that's been present in you, you know, from a very young age as well? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I think that, yeah, like every time that something's come up that doesn't quite make sense to me straight off the bat, you know, I will go and figure out why that thing is existing or, you know, what's happening behind yeah. that. Yeah, I think it's a, you know, a quality that's shared amongst a lot of people in that, this social sphere. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And so how did the, um, so I guess that's kind of how the idea for um, your work around straws and your organisation came up. Um, but w- what was the process around then actually starting something yourself um, and taking that leap? It was long and difficult. <laughs> um, I think it was really like it's really easy to look at some organisations and be like, "Wow, oh my god, you do stuff so cool!" But um, yeah, like I think everyone's going to realise that behind every you know successful, relatively successful initiative is a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Um, so with the last draw, I kind of started with this, this idea and it went through a lot of different, like the ideation phase was actually pretty grueling in itself. I initially started with a campaign to replace plastic straws with biodegradable straws. 
Um, and without doing too much research into it, like I'd heard about biodegradable packaging and I was like, oh yeah, this is perfect. Why hasn't anyone done this before? I would just replace them all. And then, um, it was actually just before a massive pitch that I was doing, um, to get a little bit of funding for the last draw. And I realized the week out that actually biodegradable packaging is only biodegradable if you compost it in a commercial composting facility. Um, so literally replacing plastic with biodegradable was just going to create a whole new problem. Um, so I had to go back literally right to the drawing board and figure out something different. Um, but so yeah, like it eventually through lots of different little, um, twists and turns got to the point where, um, I found a, like a method of operation that was not only like easy to communicate to people and easy for people to adapt, but also was completely, um, oh, what's the right word? Completely congruent with, um, the environmental impact as well. You know, it wasn't just a, yeah. an easy switch. It was actually a, let's look at the much more difficult problem of getting people to just use less of a convenient item. Um, and so, yeah, from there it was just about, you know, how do you develop messaging that really speaks to people around this, that, like, twigs people's interest, that doesn't scare them off because it's end-of-the-world talk. Um, how do you engage them? And then how do you create a brand that, you know, that plays well off that and that's eye-catching that people will get so yeah it was pretty much a process of just step by step and um there wasn't a laid out plan it was just a you know okay we've done this what do we need next um and going through it that way yeah yeah for sure and how did you go around because there's definitely a lot of elements not just with the last straw but with any sort of organization or business that someone wants to start up um how did you go around finding the right people and the right expertise to support and guide you um along addressing this issue in the right way? Um, I think that's probably something that I haven't done super well, um, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think it, yeah. like, you know, I'm the kind of person where if I can do it myself, I, I will, in that sense. Yeah, um, I'm very, yeah, very but... <laughs> much the same as well. <laughs> yeah, so I have, I have, but I've found, um, like, most of the amazing people that I've been able to work with on this have come to me, which I'm really lucky um, about, like, my, yeah. um, I have an amazing social media um, director that came to me out of the blue and was just like, hey, I love what you're doing. I have some spare time and these skills. What can I do to help? Um, so we... Mm figured it out that way and then you know I've worked with a few people in, in creating video content for the campaign so far and they've just you know been people that I know through someone that might just be a Tasmanian thing but um like people that you know through other people and, and whatnot so yeah uh, yeah I think it's um you know to anyone who's listening avoid the mistakes that I've made um you know getting finding good people to get on board is important because it takes the pressure off you um, shares the burden, but it also shares the joys as well. Um, give you someone to celebrate with when things go right. Yeah, for sure. I think you really put that in, in quite a good way. Um, and in terms of, so you've been working around social change and, and sustainability for, for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. Um, but why is addressing an issue like sustainability and waste, which are kind of like, you know, buzzwords at this stage, why is it actually 
so important now? Um, I was thinking about this question earlier, and I think yeah. sustainability in waste has always been important. We're only just starting mm. to realize the magnitude of it now. Um, Definitely. You know, it's absolutely insane that we have been coasting along this belief that 7 billion people can constantly consume and discard products that were made for permanency, like plastic is made to last forever, and that it won't cause some kind of a problem. You know, <laughs> like we yeah. have this idea that you can just um, you know, buy a coffee, like when you put your bins out, that that's just, you know, the rubbish just disappears. Or when you throw something in the bin, then it's just you don't have to think about it or worry about it anymore because it's taken care of. But I yeah. think we're starting to realize now that actually we, we all have to think about it. We all have to think about where it goes. It's not just about you can't think about a product in terms of the the five minutes that you're using it. You know, you have to think about the whole life cycle of it and what happens to it after you throw it away and where it comes from as well. Yeah. It's very important. So, yeah, I think um, we're really just starting to um, to really get that. Definitely. And I think you mentioned something um, in that, uh, particularly around, um, you know, putting our bins out and then, you know, thinking that it just, the waste just disappears, but it actually goes somewhere and has an environmental impact. Um, a lot of the, the stuff, stuff that we do is not just with sustainability, but with a lot of social issues is dehumanized because a lot of those processes are done by, um, you know, other people or they're automated. Mm-hmm. So how, what have you found in terms of actually, you know, bringing out that passionate realization that this is an issue within people? Um, if you have actually done anything to go around raising awareness about it, what have you found that resonates? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I think for me, like when you when you look at the last store and you hear about the last store, you're like, oh, okay, great, when we're using less plastic stores. Um, yeah. But the you know, on one level, it's the you know it's the store itself and it's the video of the turtle with the straw in its nose and all that kind of stuff and plastic is bad. But on a much deeper level. I think the heart of it is starting to question um, the level of consumerism that we have, the ultimate, you know, how everything is designed around convenience and that how we're not even considering the cost of that convenience. And I think campaign like The Last Straw, like every campaign that's out there asking us to change our behavior is sort of asking us to face that um, narrative that's kind of just been handed to us that, yeah. you know, it's okay to behave like this. It's okay to just, um, you know, take the easiest way possible because it's the most convenient to us. You know, having a straw in your drink might be really convenient. To you, it might make drinking your drink a little bit easier or more enjoyable or just because it's a habit that you've developed through a lifetime of using them. But, you know, what we're really trying to do is pose that question of what is the cost and why can't we just use less? Um, so I think that's the, that's the challenging question because you're literally asking people to be slightly more uncomfortable to yeah. do something good for the world. Um, and, and it's, in some ways it's a difficult question. Like some people are quite resistant to it, but in other ways, you know, there are people just completely jumping on board this bandwagon. Um, and, uh, yeah, like doing everything that they can to help out. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and I wanted to, to talk about as well, I know you um, have done some development work overseas um, and talk about what that experience was like for you. Yeah, sure. Um, I just want to put a little preface. I'm always wary about um, talking about development as a white middle-class woman. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, you know, anything that I say is based on my own experiences and not necessarily, um, and, and any studies that I've done and not necessarily how it is. But um, So, yeah, I suppose yeah. My, my experience in um, development uh, working at the Oak Tree Foundation, so I didn't do... I never did any of on-ground project stuff, but I did. I was working more in the fundraising side, but that really piqued my interest. Um, and a good friend of mine moved to Kenya um, for about five years, and uh, it was actually the um, the mentor that I'd had as a um, as a young woman. Oh, cool! Um, so, yeah, and she was invited to start um, running the Festival of Dreams program that she ran in Hobart um, in Nairobi because um, there were some yeah, like there was a lot of not similar problems, but um, at the heart of it, like young people wanting to make change in their communities, but not quite sure how. So, um, so yeah, I because I was so involved with Festival of Dreams before, I thought you know I'll go and visit her, and we ended up working together on this project, um, and that ended up um, going to into another iteration called Global Partners for Change, which we worked on for a couple of years, um, and. That was about, I think the, the thing that I got most from um, spending time in Kenya was that there were, there are, it's like the, the hub of NGOs in Africa, right? Like there are so many NGOs that operate out of, um, out of Nairobi, out of yeah. um, Kibera, out of, you know, a lot of places. And there's a lot of, um, you know, we call them expats, but <laughs> like there are a lot of, people working there that aren't local and mm. doing a lot of jobs that locals could easily do and it just sort of seemed like like the country was being developed out from under their feet yeah um do you know what i mean so definitely um and so we kind of listened to that and had the had the understanding that um you know within development from my understanding of it it's a resource gap it's not a passion gap. It's not an ability gap. You know, people in, in camp, people anywhere are so capable of developing their own communities. It's just that not everyone has the same resources. So we yeah. sort of saw our partnership as a resource partnership. Like in Australia, we had friends who were able to spare $10 a week or give, you know, spend $70 to buy a ticket to an event and whatnot. Mm. Um, and, you know, and that's that was a missing piece. Um, for these guys that we were working with in Kenya. So I think, like, for us, it was very much a, um, a partnership-based thing rather than a donor-beneficiary sort of structure. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was that experience. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, my friend ended up moving from Kenya and um, and we ended up um, taking the project back to sort of a very um, basic functioning just because we didn't have the like the on-ground sort of presence there anymore. But, um, yeah, I think the thing that I learned the most is that you get a lot of people, and I was one of these people, you know, young, idealistic. You know, I, I've seen pictures of poor people and I want to go help them. Totally. And yeah. it's, you know, it's a natural reaction. 
I suppose, but I think the important thing whenever you're working in development or interested in working in development is to look below with anything, look below the surface there. You know, look at look yeah. at the very uncomfortable reasons why those problems exist in the first place. Um, look into the history of colonialism and um, post-colonialism and, and understand that, like, um, yeah, from that history, it's, um, it's a very intricate and complicated reality. Yeah. And that, you know, you're not a hero going in to save people. Um, so I think, yeah, that's the biggest thing that I learned about it. Yeah, and I think you you touched on sort of the biggest thing that I wanted to ask, um, like leading on from that, um, which was, you know, a lot of young people growing up see these, you know, where we're exposed to a lot of these huge social issues across different countries and developing nations, and we want to do something to help. Um, but at the same time, there are a lot of organizations and people who are trying to solve the issues themselves. Um, but leave out a lot about, you know, the cultural context and the values and the things, the individuality of these communities. Um, whereas we could be, you know, empowering them to create sustain and create sustainable solutions that work for them as a community rather than just, you know, as you said, developing from under their feet. Um, so, so what are some things as young people growing up and who might be interested in working on international development stuff that we should probably be wary of? Um, and think about when looking at volunteer opportunities or looking at, um, you know, developing solutions to issues um, that come from cultures we might not be familiar with. Yeah, sure. Fantastic question. I think the first point to mention there would be that I think um, it feels weird to call it the development industry, but I suppose it is, um, is definitely changing. And a lot of what I was talking about before has been identified in um, yeah. a lot of organizations are really working on making things more of a partnership basis in that way um i think what i'd say for anyone that you know is interested in development um learn as much as you can do as much research and reading as you can you know there are so many like understand the reasons why things are happening the way that they are because only then when you get an understanding of the root causes can you even start to you know do anything (laughs) to help really Um, the second thing is to have conversations with people like you know ask questions and learn what it is that is needed don't just say I have a great idea about how to help your community because that's not you know it's like someone walking into your house and being like I have a great idea about how to redesign your house even if you don't like it so um obviously not that simple but um Mm. yeah like if you do end up working with people in a developing country make sure that they are the ones that are spearheading the the conceptual side of things. Like, you know, if you have the ability to support them in doing what they're doing, fantastic. But, you know, it should not be about people going in and telling people how to develop their country, setting those expectations, those Western expectations on, you know, a country that's the culture and the economy and what just, just doesn't rest on that. So, yeah, I think those would be the big um, the big things there. Yeah, totally. I think um, there's some really important takeaways and things um, that listeners can be mindful of if they're looking at, you know, working around um, helping de- development, as you said, um, in uh, different countries. And just before we finish off here, Eva, I 
wanted to also ask about um, for the passionate people listening in, um, if they did want to, you know, get involved with any of your initiatives or even just reach out and say hello, um, what's probably like the best ways to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you, yeah, if you're interested in like plastic waste sustainability, we've got some cool stuff that we're working on this year. Um, you know, always love to hear people's ideas and whatnot. Um, and so the website is um, laststraw.com.au. Uh, and you can find my contact details on there. Um, for anyone who is listening that, you know, is wanting to start a social um, enterprise journey or, um, you know, has an idea about what they want to do but not sure how, like I'm not a guru, but I'm always happy to, like, try and help <laughs> based on my own experiences. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, shoot me an email. I've always got time for stuff like that. So. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, I want to thank you so much for um, joining us today. I really got a lot myself out of um, having this conversation and learned a fair bit um, through the stuff we talked about. So, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. No worries. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, um, it's a great initiative, and I hope that the people listening have, um, yeah, hopefully got something out of this today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening in. I do want to ask you to please leave a review for this podcast. Um, one, it really helps with being more visible on people's feeds and whatever podcasting apps they use so more people can benefit from the discussions we have. And also, let me know what you think, like whether the stuff that we talk about is actually helping you and if there's any other topics you want to hear about or any sort of people you want to hear from. Thanks for listening and hope you guys have a good week ahead.